You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Welcome to Big News Sports. Featuring Lars Anderson, New York Times best-selling author of 12 books and a 20-year veteran of Sports Illustrated. Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality. And Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. It's big news sports. Wow, we got to keep an eye on the weather, and we will do that. Most of it is uh, kind of skating around the Birmingham area, but I also realize that uh, we're not just being listened to in Birmingham, but it's Tuscaloosa, Aniston, and Gadsden. So hang tight. If something comes up, we will let you know immediately. Meanwhile, it is Friday, and man, in my life personally and professionally, it's been a weird week. And uh, in some ways, I'm glad it's over. In other ways, I'm not. The big story is Nick Saban and not happy. He's not happy about the proposed three opponents that he will face in the SEC in 2024 when they get all when they get Oklahoma and Texas into the fold. And then they start making up the schedules, which will be nine teams inside the Southeastern Conference. But as uh, it appears now, now this is not written in ink, as it appears now, Alabama could possibly play as their common opponents year to year. Of course, Auburn. Of course, Tennessee. And you got LSU in the mix. And uh, I can understand why Nick's a little bit disturbed by that. But you know what? Well, if you're going to play in the SEC, you're going to do this, you have to put up with it. Yeah, he uh, told Sports Illustrated in a story that was published this morning that he's always been an advocate for playing more conference games. But if you play more games, I think you have to get the three fixed opponents right. They're giving us Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU. I don't know how they come to that decision. So, uh, and then he's just, um, yeah, he's not happy. And he noted how uh, Tennessee struggled the past decade until last season, and now they're among the stronger teams in the conference. And um, and so I think the team that he's upset with being on there is Tennessee. I'm not sure. Uh, I would guess LSU. Or maybe LSU. Because I, I yeah. think that uh, Alabama pretty much, I mean, come on, not playing Auburn or Tennessee in this state, that's – isn't that uh, that's a criminal charge, isn't it? So I, th- I think it's LSU, and I don't blame him because in Brian Kelly cooking down there in the Cajun country, he is. Um, and he said, Nick Saban did historically over a twenty-five year history, the three best teams in the East are Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. Historically, over the last twenty-five years, Auburn, LSU, and Alabama are the three best teams in the West. So we're playing all of them. So, uh, yeah, you know, Alabama. Three years, though, you it, know? it could, 
but it probably won't. Uh, I don't think Tennessee's going away anytime soon. And so, you know, Alabama doesn't get uh, a walkover opponent as as one of the three permanent teams. They don't they don't get Vandy. They don't get but that's who he wanted. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Everybody uh, wants Vandy on their and schedule. And I, I like the LSU-Alabama rivalry, and it's been a good one even since back in the days when I was a kid. But I, uh, if you're not going to play in LSU, and by the way, can, can I just stop the entire train right now and tell you why? What's the answer to everything now in sports? Money. Money. And Nick Saban noted so, that. Yeah. It, he said base, it, it, he, he talked about NIL in this interview. And he said, uh, now you have name, image, and likeness, which changes the whole dynamic because now it's who has the most money to pay players until they change the rules. Well, I'm glad he came out and said that because that is what it, this is. It's, but free, it's, it's free agency. A&M in Texas more, wouldn't you? You would think so. My, my money issue is television ratings. What's going to get the best ratings year and year and year? Alabama LSU or Alabama Mississippi State? Oh, of course, Alabama LSU. Do you think that has a little bit to do with it? I mean, the SEC's got TV money. TV money goes up when ratings go up. Yeah, you're right. He was totally talking about LSU. Uh, um, yes. I don't know. What, what, what's your opinion? Do you, do you think Alabama got hosed with this? If, in fact, it's going to be these three opponents as the permanent teams, Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU? I don't think they're getting hosed. It is the most difficult situation you could probably set up. But who knows? Is Hugh Freeze going to dominate at Auburn? How good is he going to be? That's the deal. You just don't know how good a team is going to be year to year. The exception there right now is Alabama and Georgia. They're going to be darn good every year. Yeah. But, uh, it's going to be interesting. So, SEC, it's going to go to nine games, nine conference games. It's not going to – it's a division-less schedule. And so it includes these three permanent annual opponents and six rotating opponents each season. So, um, I think it's a good thing that they're adding a conference game, right? You almost have to because I of the so. number the of teams in the league. Exactly. Um, we'll have to see who the other, who, who, what teams drew what opponents, right, for their permanent opponents. How is that selection going, Lars? You're inside the brain trust at the SEC. Do they <laughs> yeah. get in a little room? Do they put the names in a hat, shake it up, and pull them out? Well, uh, I'm sure Greg Sankey at some point will answer that. Well, I think sooner rather than well, later. Is your puppy? Uh, yeah, we have our mascot back. Charlotte, my dog, uh, a cavapoo, uh, is in the house. She just underwent a little bit of surgery a couple of days ago, but you wouldn't know it. No, she's, uh, she's bouncing more active off the walls. than she was when we were in the other studio. Yeah, <laughs> and these chairs are lower, so she can get right at you. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. Um, well, what do you think? I mean, let, let me just ask you, Lars. You're in the room with Greg Sankey, and you get to pick Alabama's three permanents. Who are you selecting? Well, obviously Auburn. I think you got to maintain the Tennessee rivalry, right? Absolutely. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, right, when I was living in New York, 
I was very aware of the Auburn Alabama rivalry, but I was not as as uh, uh, I didn't have as great an understanding of Tennessee and Alabama. I think it means more to the fan bases than it does nationally. Nationally, the Iron Bowl is a uh, must-see event. And I think people in Billings know that, right? Yeah, um, but they don't. I'm not sure they know no, as much about don't. UT. No, no. Um, but now, living here for 15 years, I understand the magnitude of the rivalry. And, and you the, also the, understand the, the what age Saturday. group and what demographic it appeals to more now than it used to. Yeah. It's my game. <laughs> my generation. Um by the way, I love covering games up at Tennessee. It's fun to go into Neyland Stadium. You know, and, uh, you're I, an think, guy. I think it's uh, you feel like you are in the clouds when you are in the press box at Neyland Stadium. I have never. It may. It may. Been. Oh, you've never been up there. I've known. I've never been that high in my life. Yeah. It's, now, okay. It's, it's, insert your own joke there. Okay. But I believe it's the highest press the box highest. in America. Uh, and you look down. I mean, you are. You, you even if you've you know how I vision. am about heights. Golly, I hated it. Yeah, I mean it's because it, you got to kind of lean out and up and over just like you do any press box. But um, I will agree with you this, and well, yeah. Alabama and Tennessee fans know this, and, and you're this is what you're saying. I think the uh, the the atmosphere, the bands, the tees, the checkerboard end zones, the atmosphere at Tennessee is something very very special. I I liked it. Yeah. Even better when you walk out with a smile on your face. But uh, that was all good. But tell me, what about Auburn? Who do you think Auburn's going to end up with? Well, who do you think? Well, I mean, obviously they've got to put Alabama in Alabama. There. And I, I, you have to and put Georgia. Georgia. I mean, that the, is the then does Auburn South Then does Auburn Florida. get a doormat? Um... I mean, I, you shouldn't call Mississippi State a doormat, but... I well, think I think it's <laughs> safe to say year to year they're probably going to play more like 500 ball, right? Yeah. Um, who would be Auburn's third? I just asked you the question, and now I'm trying to figure it out myself. Um, I like Florida, but, boy, that's putting them through a gauntlet, too. Yeah. But And you had not moved to Alabama, but this was back in probably, the Die Spurrier. I think Florida. Florida. I think they're going to get Florida. Um, man in the eighties, that was a rock throwing game. Yeah, and Spurrier was doing this, Guy was doing this, and um, golly, it seems like four or five years in a row they had last second games. They were really, really good. So, uh, personally, that's what I would like to see. I- I'm not sure that Hugh Freeze would. He would probably rather have a Kentucky or a South Carolina on their schedule. Yeah, or Mississippi State, Ole Miss. You know, I think back on it. Um, I, I like what the Alabama Ole Miss game has grown into over the past decade. Yeah, um, man, it, it's just a—it's it, sort of a scheduling nightmare. And I assume you know it's not just—it's obviously not just Greg Sankey. It's a—it's a bunch of people in the SEC office trying to put the jigsaw puzzle together. Um, but. Uh, <sighs> You know, because you want to keep the necessary rivalry games, and then you kind of throw the rest in a hat and see what happens. Um, I mean, look, I I think Nick Saban is correct here. It's not the end of the world if LSU and Alabama don't play every year. 
It's it just is with not. Tennessee and Auburn, though. I think. Okay, so you so yeah. you keep those. You keep Tennessee. You keep uh-huh. Auburn, and you give Alabama maybe a third opponent that is uh, historically a five hundred team. Let's ask our partner Christian Miller because he's played them all. Uh, Christian. Uh, would you think Tennessee and Auburn are givens, and who would be your third selection? He doesn't want to play anybody. He wants, <laughs> I, he wants idle every week. Um, yeah. Um, but this is going to be a debate that is going to be raging for a while. And, um, you know, the, the the format isn't set in stone quite yet. Uh, they could have come up with this last spring in Destin, but they 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 kicked the can down the road. Uh, but they did settle on two formats: the three-six model, right, and a eight-game format that keeps one traditional rivalry rivalry intact, and then rotates seven remaining opponents. So, uh, both those are the two options, and um, that means that the rotating opponents will play each other every other season. And Sankey said last month that he hopes that the new format is settled prior to this year's spring meetings. So that would mean the the news would be released relatively really? soon. Yeah. I mean, it, obviously, Nick Saban, if Nick Saban already knows, that means all the other coaches know as well. Yeah. Or maybe Saban has a mole in the SEC office and he's preemptively making his case to get LSU off of the schedule each year. I'm pretty sure he does. If somebody. I mean, Nick knows all. Tells all. Well, usually. Hey, you're listening to Big News Sports. Bottom of the hour, we've been joined by my good friend, Tom Banks. He's a five-time All-Pro in the National Football League with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was drafted and came up in an era they didn't have a combine. We'll see how that worked out for him. That's coming up next on Big Noon Sports. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky clearing this afternoon. The winds will gradually die down. The high 75. Port tonight clear with the low at 43. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow 67. For Sunday afternoon, the high at 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports. Big gloomy Noon Sports. It is windy and overcast and raining in Birmingham, Alabama, and it may be where you are as well. But uh, our own meteorologist, Lars Anderson, will keep his eye on the weather. Everything good on that side of the studio? Uh, Yes. So far, so good. Uh, I did just have to run to the car, and uh, you know, get blown away. I got blown away. There was a some thunder, and there's not a better place to be when there's lightning than on top of the largest hill in Birmingham. Uh, but just glad we're good. Our antennas are over on another right. mountain. Um, 
because there's nothing like when we were doing when I was in television. I mean, you know where six and thirteen are. There's also well, what a five hundred foot lightning rod <laughs> sticking right out of your roof. Have you next ever, to a huge metal man? Have you ever come close to being hit by lightning? No, I don't think so. I mean, it felt like it, but then I realized it was actually miles away. Have you? In Nebraska, I would figure. No, it was you on. Could it was, just stand it was, up it was, in Lincoln. It was and get on. Hit. It was on a golf course in Florida, and I was. Uh, it's dumb. Was it didn't get off the course fast enough, and now I'm absolutely terrified of lightning on golf on the golf course. Like if if I hear thunder, if I see any lightning in the distance, I'm done. I mean, it, it was so close that you could like you could feel the electricity. Oh, that's pretty. You could feel it. Yeah, that's close. Um, and is it's, it Lee Trevino and, that and got hit twice? Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and it's weird. Like you could feel the electricity before the strike, right? Just like seconds before the strike. You could, your hair could, stand up? or it, it's, it's like a tingling feeling. Really? Yeah. I was in the golf cart. We're actually driving to get off the course in the middle of the fairway. Because, of course, I... Hit the ball straight. Uh, down of course, the you just piped it. Uh, <laughs> I, I stroked it three ten off the tee. As always. there you go. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, no, I'll, I'll never forget that. And now, uh, lightning—it's a very real thing. Don't don't look over your right shoulder. Then <laughs> it is really getting nasty outside our studios here in Birmingham. Christian Miller is with us. Christian, have you ever been struck <laughs> by lightning? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Uh, you're a taller target. Too. Yeah, yeah. There's more of Christian to hit than me. Yeah, that's oh. true. Um, you guys, if if there's any lightning within what, like 15 miles of the practice field, you guys won't be out on like the the play players like, practice basically will get canceled or you'll move it inside. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I think. It, the the general number, Matt, is usually fifteen miles. Um, you know, we go to a lot of events, so a lot of uh Talavega, you know, they have to postpone things and hold up for weather, football games, I mean high school games, whatever the case may be. And uh nowadays everybody's just looking at their phone, look at the radar and see where the lightning strikes are. But I thought there was a general rule somewhere in the seven to eight mile radius. I'm not a meteorologist. They used to take all my time. I'm still mad about that. Hey, Christian, who should Alabama play in the upcoming SEC schedules? There, there are three common opponents. What would Christian Miller want? Uh, Got to have Auburn and Tennessee, without a doubt. And I say you, you have LSU. I mean, to me, I look at LSU as a rival. Um, I, I, I know Coach Saban wants that competitive edge. You want some parity. I know it's tough to have, you know, three constant challenges uh, year in and year out, but I have to disagree with them on this one. I just feel like it's a traditional thing. And um, as a player, I always look forward to playing against LSU, Auburn, and Tennessee. Those are the staple games for us. So I think you got to keep those three. It might not necessarily be the easiest, but we've, we've never had uh, things easy, and we never wanted them easy. We all, we've we always accepted challenges head on, and uh, I see no reason to change now. Yeah. You know, you know what? The SEC office is not going to please everybody, and um, but wait, they'll please Nick first. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just impossible uh, yeah. to make everybody happy. Honestly, I mean, there's no, no way you can. 
to, right. to make it fair for everyone. I mean, you can try to have as much parity and equality as, as you can, but unfortunately, um, you know, there's going to be better teams and there's going to be um, some some weaker teams. That's just kind of part of it. And, you know, unfortunately, the teams that we have, I mean, let, let's also be honest, though. Uh, Auburn's not always the greatest team ever anyways. And Tennessee, honestly, I mean, they're not, now, you know, they're a lot more prevalent and a lot more of a challenge. But realistically, I mean, you know, Tennessee hadn't been that that tough of an opponent for the past however long, you know, until this past season they beat us. I mean, what, what was the streak, guys? Y'all probably, Matt, you you know. 15, 15. Yeah. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think Saban ever lost Tennessee until this year. Right. So, All right, this, this is the know. prediction. Oh. All right, uh, so this is the prediction from uh, Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated, my former employer. And uh, Ross does a great job of covering college football, and uh, I think he is pretty close here. Uh, We'll start with Alabama. So Auburn, Tennessee, LSU. Auburn is going to be Alabama, Georgia, Vanderbilt. That's kind of nice getting Vandy. Georgia is going to be Auburn, Florida, Kentucky. Florida is going to have Georgia, South Carolina, Oklahoma. South Carolina will get Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. Then um, I'll just go through a couple of them. Texas is going to get Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Arkansas. That makes sense. Got to have Oklahoma and Texas play each other. Texas A&M is going to get LSU, Texas, Mississippi State. LSU will be Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Texas. Uh, sorry, uh, Mississippi State's going to be Ole Miss, Kentucky, Texas A&M. So, of all of the teams in the conference, you certainly could make the argument that Alabama has the the, the most difficult uh, three team, three permanent teams on the schedule than any more difficult than any other team in the SEC. But it's a shifting landscape, right? This is, yeah. a, mo- this is a moving target here. Uh, uh, but the only thing you can do is just sort of measure it historically, right? And I think if you do go back over the last 10 years and you, you calculated winning percentage of the three teams, if in, if, if in fact this is the way it goes, and I think it, it really could be, I would venture to say that the winning percentage of Alabama's opponents is higher than anyone else's in the SEC. Somebody will do all that math at some point. You know, if that's what it is. By the way, doesn't Alabama, Christian, correct me if I'm wrong here. Doesn't Alabama, head coach Nick Saban, play Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU every year now? Right. Right, and that's what I was saying too, Bad. I was confused, honestly. I I didn't understand because... Um, he also was the one saying he, he preferred the all SEC schedule when they, they had that COVID year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I, I just didn't understand it quite honestly, cause I didn't know who else. I mean, we have to play Auburn. Like it's the iron bowl. Like that, that one's locked in, you know, Tennessee, that one historically is, is up there with Auburn in my opinion, and obviously not to the same level or same degree just yet. But you know, again, you have to play to Alabama, Tennessee, they have to play. So those two are locked in. Yes. And maybe he's questioning LSU, but uh, again, I just don't really see LSU being that much of a threat in terms of adding it as a third team. Um, maybe swap them with the Mississippi State 
I could see that one being a good one. You know, they're, they're both close schools, and you know, we battle when we play those guys. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't quite necessarily understand. Uh, I wouldn't call it his frustration, but his, you know, his disappointment with the, you know, I guess that them coming out with that. But I don't know, you know, coach is coach, but I, I almost, well, I almost want to disagree with them on this one, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I, I don't think you're alone in that. But then again, I think about Coach Saban, and man, he can play some chess now. He's he didn't say this just out of an immediate emotional response. Yeah, there is a method to his, if you will, madness. Hey, when we get back, we're going to talk combines, or actually, the lack of combines in the National Football League with Tom Banks, right here on Big Noon Sports. From T Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sport. Uh, but he knew uh, if he uh, uh, fought the guy across or, or, or just uh, did whatever it took to control his guy and keep him off the quarterback, uh, somebody was going to pat him on the back. And uh, that really didn't work out for Conrad at first because uh, he, he had so much to learn. And the Cardinals ended up letting him go in uh, in '72 at the end of training camp, and uh, we got somebody got hurt, and, and about two weeks later he, they brought him back. And he kind of and I talked about this several times. He said, uh, uh, "You know, they they uh, they they uh, I try to do things their way, and they let me go. So now I'm going to do things my way." And he fought somebody huh. every day. Our defensive guys hated him. Uh, but uh, that, that's how he became uh, uh, a dominant player. Uh, he um, he did whatever it took. And, you know, I've often said this. Uh, back in those days, there was no rules as far as uh, offensive line, defensive line play. Uh, they tried to make the, uh, the head slap uh, 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 illegal. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we, kept, we used to ask the officials, what are you, this guy's doing this, why aren't you calling it? Uh, they... Uh, uh, the players had to police the game back then. That's the way we used to put it. But uh, Conrad was, uh, he, he uh, would dominate guys by doing whatever it took. And uh, if that meant uh, uh, biting and, and biting and doing whatever, um, that's what he did. And uh, we all admired that part of, about it, just the intensity of his, uh, of, uh, his, his uh, desire to, uh, to play, play professional football. He was, uh, he was the best. You answered some of my what, questions. What was yeah. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead Chris. Oh, my bad. Uh, just real quick, was Conrad off the field just complete? Was his personality completely different than on the field? Uh, he liked being the center of attention. Uh, so no, I don't think it was much different. <laughs> we we um, I got to tell you, I mean Matt knows this uh, because we talked about it before. But we had a group of people there in St. Louis in the mid-'70s. It was like family. And uh, uh, we just thought we all hung out together. Uh, uh, we, uh, Conrad and I lived in the same uh, apartment complex uh, three, four years in a row and uh, just had a blast together. I mean, it was uh, – uh, we had a great bunch of guys on that team. Uh, Coach Correo came in in 1973 and brought with him uh, Jim Hannafin, Joe Gibbs, and Rod Dowhauer, those are all our offensive coaches. They all became head coaches in the league eventually. And uh, it was just a great atmosphere. The guys that were held over from the earlier days and the, the ones they brought in in the 70s, it was a great, great mix. 
I was going to ask you, you answer part of my question when you uh, were talking about some of the changes they've made in terms of what they allowed, you know, the head slap being one of those things. But I want to ask you, you know, watching the combine, now it's it's common to see these guys, these defensive ends, you know, the, these guys who are weighing 270 plus pounds running four fives, four fours, even sub four fours. How, yeah. how have you seen the game change? And would you agree that nowadays uh, it's definitely changed dramatically, even from a physical stamp- standpoint, just seeing the, the size and speed and athleticism of guys in today's game? There's no doubt about it. When uh, the first time we uh, played against a guy over 300 pounds, uh, that was in the in the uh, uh, mid seventies, and uh, we were all like, "My gosh, how, how big is this guy going to be?" But but uh, <laughs> uh, it it uh, uh, it's become more and more important uh, about the size of the players, especially of the defensive players, and kind and because of that, the offensive players have had to get bigger. I never weighed more than two forty five back in those days, uh, but I was wow. against middle linebackers most of the time. And uh, I, I would rather have been quick than big. And and uh, uh, the rest of us, I mean, Dan Dudorf was about 270, 275 at the most. Uh, Bob Young was was uh, was the biggest one on our on our offensive line. Bob was about 280. But uh, uh, for the most part, you know, Conrad and I were uh, relatively slim back in those days compared to to uh, what the what the, the way the game evolved and size just got more and more important. And what is, impresses me, is, and you already mentioned it, was the agility and the speed these guys have over 300 pounds. You know, it's, pretty, it's not unusual now for a guy to be 320, and then he's, he's coming off the end. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Tom, I always like to ask you this question uh, because it, just, it, it gives a lot of people information on CTE. Uh, I, like I said, Tom and I have known each other. I've... Uh, we've we've kind of knocked our own brains in a few times, Tom. But you don't have any any effects from the multiple collisions you had as a pro football player. And there's a really interesting reason why. And all these physicians and those doing the research on it ought to call Tom, or I guess could, should have called your assistant trainer back with the Cardinals. Well, uh, I went to Bill, Bill Simmons. Bill was our equipment manager uh, when I was uh, a rookie in 1970. And uh, I, was, I was getting headaches. I mean, I had always been taught to lead with my head. And, and uh, the thing, the drills we were going through, uh, I was getting headaches at the end of practice. And I'd go in the next, the next uh, day and, and uh, still hurting. So I went to Bill and I said, Bill, this helmet is just not working out. Is there anything you can give me to give me better protection? He said, well, I've got a helmet back here nobody wants to wear because it's so heavy. He said, you might want to try it. Well, he didn't, he didn't know, but my dad started working on my neck when I was about 12. And uh, nothing nothing was going to bother me as far as the, the, the weight of the helmet. So I put it on. It was called a Gladiator. And the Gladiator had, uh, uh, had uh, um, packets inside of it. It wasn't air. It was gel packs all around your skull. And it made it heavier, but it also uh, did, uh, uh, took care of the uh, of the hits. Uh, did, you just didn't have it; uh, your brain wasn't bouncing around as much as the, uh, the the traditional suspension helmets and some of the helmets that uh, that they were offering to the guys. And uh, that's the only helmet, only brand of helmet I wore for 13 years. And uh, I was uh, real fortunate. Uh, don't know that I've had uh, any concussions during that time. Um, 
I uh, do have occasional memory lapses, but <laughs> I, I'm 74 now, so I, I guess that's expected. Yeah. But uh, I know so many guys that have got this CTE, for, for people that don't know, CTE is chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And it, it actually happens when part of your brain gets so bruised up so many times against your skull, it, it starts uh, dying. And uh, it's, uh, it's such a shame because uh, uh, I've known so many of these guys for so long, and uh, uh, their memory is just completely gone. It's terrible. Hey, Tom, uh, another favor. Can you hang on through a break and take a couple more questions here from my partners? I'd <laughs> be glad to, man. Sure. All right. Uh, Tom Banks from John Carroll, Auburn, St. Louis, and then uh, back home to the Stallions. I'll ask him about the USFL when we get back. You're listening to the Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. From our home base right here in Birmingham, Alabama. We are here treating patients from every generation. Across the United States. And from around the world. As respected industry leaders. We are here. Working hard for you. In an effort to provide you with. Excellence in sports medicine. Excellence in research and education. And excellence in sports injury prevention. We are here for you. Aggressively pursuing. Victory over injury. Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com. 100.9 Tuscaloosa weather. Sky clearing this afternoon. The winds will gradually die down. The high 75. For tonight, clear with a low at 43. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow 67. For Sunday afternoon, the high at 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 72 degrees in Tuscaloosa. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Big Noon Sports, Christian Miller, Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter. And I want to remind you that in addition to being able to call in on the show at 205-342-9904, you can also pop us up on your phone. Just uh, download our, our website, which is uh, www.bignoonsports.com. Um, also, Twitter account is at Big Noon Sports. All right, we're talking with Tom Banks, uh, former... Auburn Tiger, uh, former St. Louis Cardinal, former Birmingham Stallion, played two years in the original USFL. And, Tom, that's what I want to ask you about. Um, back then, when you were playing for the Birmingham Stallions, one, what, what do you have a memory that sticks out all these years later? And two, well, did you believe? Did you believe at the time that the USFL was going to make it? That spring football was going to make it? Uh, yes, uh, we all believed that we were going to make it uh, because there was so much talent available uh, to the USF, the United States Football League. Raleigh Dodge, when he was named our head coach, uh, I was the first player to sign. He and I had a meeting, and I was really impressed with him. He had been the offensive line coach for the. Pittsburgh Steelers, 
and uh, uh, Mike Webster played for him, which I've always considered the, the greatest center ever to play uh, the game. But Riley and I uh, were on the same page, and he started bringing guys together. Uh, we brought in another uh, offensive lineman named Robert Woods. From, uh, Robert had played at Tennessee State, and he lived up in Florence. And uh, Robert had had about uh, nine or ten years' uh, experience in the league. He played with Conrad at, uh, down in New Orleans. And uh, the rest of the guys were younger. Buddy Adelaide, Pat Sandin, uh Pat Phoenix, um, all our offensive linemen back in those days. And uh, uh, Riley uh, uh, asked me to, to uh, kind of help bring them along because of my experience in the league uh, in the NFL. And uh, I was just impressed with the, with the group of guys that we had there. We all uh, worked hard, and and, uh, and really uh, I enjoyed playing in, in Legion, at Legion Field so long. My dad had played there when he was at Auburn. And uh, we, of course, back in those days, we, uh, we played more than just the Auburn-Alabama game there. Uh, played Georgia Tech there and, and uh, Tennessee also uh, when, uh, when we were on a uh, when it was a home game for Auburn uh, back in those days. But uh, uh, the USFL, I really thought that with the level of talent that we had and the, the level of coaching also, uh, that we had a really good chance of making it. And uh, um, you know, Donald Trump gets all the blame uh, for uh, uh, pushing these guys to. Um, Force the NFL to take smaller teams in, uh, but they all went along with it. So I don't know that he's uh, directly to blame, but he was the one that started that movement. But I think there was at least four teams in, in our league that could have played and been very competitive with the NFL team. The theory that I've heard about Trump, and I've read Jeff Perlman's uh, book, excellent book called Football for a Buck, and it's all about the history of the USFL. Is that uh, Trump was pushing for uh, for the USFL to move to the spring to go head to head with the NFL, ultimately with the goal of being awarded an NFL franchise. So he was willing to sacrifice his the league if, so he to could get, get his New Jersey to, to get uh, yeah basically the New Jersey Generals uh, into the NFL. That's the theory. You know who who knows, but. Um, do you think uh, this go around of the XFL and the USFL can can make it? Do you think spring football can make it? Because there have been so many attempts over the years, and ultimately none of them have uh, had any uh, sustainability. But do you think it could be different this time around for these two leagues? Well, in my opinion, we we could have if we had stayed in the uh, in the spring as a spring league back in the uh, original USFL days, we could have made it because we were making it. I mean, we had good crowds uh, and and, uh, and good uh, uh, good talent level and good coaching level. So anyway, I, I believe that then. Uh, now uh, it's hard to say, but TV money is so important. Uh, if they get the right kind of contract. Um, uh, I, I never, I didn't understand what they were trying to do last year, playing all the games in one place. Um, so I, I don't know that much about the the, uh, the league uh, and what they're trying to do now. But I think spring football is can be a reality, but it's it's, uh, it's a long term thing. You got to be able to stick it out, and you got to have a lot of money. Um, and I don't know that this one, this league uh, does that. Will they do or not? I just don't know. I think I got a good shot because they do have a good working relationship with the National Football League. 
Um, do you and, think, but I will as, say as, this: they don't have near the roster that the Stallions of the eighties. No, did. no. I mean, we did Joe Cribs, Jimmy Smith, Cliff Stout, Cliff Stout. Um, good. You had all pro NFL players in the USFL, Tom. That was uh, yeah, oh yeah, we did. It was a good time. Yeah, I, I remember uh, it was a few Heisman Trophy winners in a row went to the USFL. Mike Rozier, um, Herschel Walker, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Marcus Dupree. Marcus yeah. Dupree. In the USFL? Yep, yeah. He played for New Orleans. Yeah. Um, and I also... Steve yeah. Young. What, what were the biggest crowds? Like, would, would Legion Field be sold out for USFL games? No, we didn't sell it out, but we had good crowds, 40, 45,000. Yeah. And they loved you guys, man. There's still a bunch <laughs> of Stallions fans running around. Hey, uh, well, I, Tom, as always, yeah. as I told you earlier, you're my go-to guy, and uh, you came through once again. Uh, my best to your family, and uh, you and I will get lunch here real soon, all right? Yeah, sounds good, bet Y'all take care. Enjoy talking to y'all. Yeah, you Thank too. you, Tom. Great stories. Yep. He has been a guest on every radio show I've ever done in my life. He's, and he's just, he makes me smile. He's such a good man. Um, you know, it looks like the college football rule makers are going to change this deal about first down. I know. We need to get into that. And whether you like it or not, I have to talk about pitch count, pitch clock, that stuff. Are you keeping up with Major League Baseball? It's, it's amazing what's going on. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Make noise for NW265CG Tuscaloosa, Tide 100.9, and screaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. I'm glad it's Friday, and we continue to monitor the weather for for you here on Big Noon Sports. And um, it's vastly different than it was 30 minutes ago. It was just raining sideways and overcast and windy. It's windy everywhere, but uh, we will keep an eye on that for you. All right. Um, the the big news today is Nick Saban's not happy with the potential of his three common opponents being Auburn, Tennessee, and potentially LSU. We talked about that first hour. But uh, another big story coming down the college football tube is uh, rule changes. And it looks like they're going to go with these. Uh, I think it's all but done. Um, the, the, the first two are really kind of minimal. But, you know, it's, this is an effort to shorten the games. Because now they used to be about, what, 245, maybe three hours. Now they're going two and a half. And it's not uncommon, particularly in postseason, to see four-hour games. Personally, it doesn't bother me. I I can add another hour. It's not a big deal. But you can't ice a kicker anymore, and you can't have untimed plays at the end of the first and the third quarter going into the next. But, Lars, the big one is uh, is going to save time. Do you like it? it it's uh, other than the last two minutes of the first half and the game, um, after first downs, they'll reset the clock and start it. Yeah. So currently, the clock stops on first downs until the ball is spotted by officials, 
right? And um, it gives t- teams a great opportunity to move the ball down the field at the end of the half when time is running low if they're out of timeouts. Uh, you just got to keep getting first down, first down, first down because you can because uh, the clock stops. That's not going to happen. Well, actually, in the, at the end of the half, it will. But now, now it's not going to happen. Uh, it, 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 not, it won't happen during the entire game. It's just the final two minutes of the second uh, quarter and the final two minutes of the fourth quarter that um, that the ball will uh, the, the the clock will stop as the ball is being spotted. So this emulates the current rule in the NFL. And I like it because it, it is going to um, it's going to cut down on the overall number of plays in a game, and I think that's a good thing because uh, it, um, it, it 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 goes to player safety, and, uh, and and two you're sort of keeping the meat of the rule because it's usually most important in the those final two minutes of each half. And so um, I like it. I do too. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're allowing when it really comes down to critical time management, the, the end of the game, end of the half, um, they'll still allow that. Um, now, the other rule that they were considering that I think got flushed real fast was uh, – Doing something about after passes, uh, and that just yeah. stopping stopping the clock or, or starting the clock. Starting after the clock after, yeah. I mean, I don't know once the ball was with, once the yeah. ball was spotted, they were going to start the clock after the, an incomplete pass, and uh, that did not get approved by um, by the NCAA football rules committee. And by the way, all this was announced this morning. Um, and it still has to be approved in April by the NCA Playing Rules Oversight Panel. Um, man, talk about a bureaucracy. Um, and then the rule, and so that it, it that's more just of a rubber stamping process than anything, uh, because the rules committee has already approved these changes, um, and they're going to be implemented starting next season, starting 2023. And again, the biggest change is regarding first down. Currently, the clock stops on first downs until the ball is spotted by officials. New rule will keep the clock running on first downs, except during the final two minutes of the second and fourth quarters. A rule that emulates the NFL, so it's a good thing. And also, uh, it, it's about time for change. <laughs> the, the current model of rules that uh, that the uh, NCA uses has been in place for... Um, since Jim since, Thorpe? Ni- no, since 1968, yeah, basically wow. since Jim Thorpe. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, moving the uh, the rock of evolution forward. Um, I like it, and I think it will shorten the game. And uh, a lot of people want that. I'm like I said, I'm not really sure that I'm, I I can watch a four hour college football game, but uh, that's me. Um, speaking of clocks, I'm gonna for, I'm gonna. Face force this one on everybody. <laughs> Major League Baseball has a pitch clock now. And a pitcher has 15 seconds to deliver the baseball. The batter must be in the box. That's it. Uh, they are working out the kinks in spring training. And this, I was thinking on the way to work today, I said, that's exactly what spring training is for. Work out your kinks. I mean, physically, mentally, get ready. Also, engage the new rule changes and figure them out. 
It is doing wonderful things as far as the length of Major League Baseball games now. In spring training, they are averaging anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes faster. That, folks, that's a lot of time. That's a whole lot of time. Batters, as I have noticed so many times when I get up on my baseball soapbox, batters are the problem. Now, there are some pitchers. Uh, I remember a guy that back in the days named Hargrove played for the Indians. They called him the human rain delay. It just took him forever. But you speed up the game. You get the batters in the box. That's the deal. Lars, like I was telling you during break, the batters will step out now after every pitch. They will feign a look at the third base coach as if, if they're actually getting a, si- a signal. You know what they do? They just overgrip at the bottom of the bat and swing as hard as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not bunting. You're not running. It's just uh, they've changed the game in that regard a little bit. Um, but the batters would step out, feign a look down at the third base coach, then they take off the, the left-hand band, then the right-hand band, then they'd adjust their hat and a couple of other places on their anatomy, and then get back in. Uh, I timed it, particularly in postseason, I timed it. Sometimes it would take 30 to 45 seconds for these guys to do this. (laughs) Now, they are having an entire at-bat in 30 to 45 seconds. And you know what this is? This is Gibson versus Aaron. I'm bad. You're bad. I'm getting in a box. Bring it. Yeah. And and I hope it brings back that emotion to the game. You know, uh, it is having the desired effect because after four days, and this was a couple days ago, but the, the first four days of, uh, of spring training in the Cactus and Grapefruit League uh, leagues, the average time of the game was two hours and 39 minutes. If you go back and look at the average time of the first four full days last year, it was two hours and 57 minutes so that's they've shaved just in spring training nearly 20 minutes off of each game and so um as someone who is not the biggest baseball fan i i think it's good to speed it up i really do um and again the a clock that forces the pitcher to deliver 15 seconds after receiving the ball from home plate you can get 20 seconds when there's runners on and the batter has to be engaged with the pitcher eight seconds before expiration. Right. And yeah. Dig in. And, and balls and strikes are penalties assessed yeah. for violations. So um, do you like it as a I, – yeah, I, I, I would do. assume that some baseball purists wouldn't like well, it. Well, you know, if the game were played in its pure form, we wouldn't need this rule. <laughs> you know, if you had a guy like Drysdale that would just flat plunk you in the ribs if you didn't get back in the batter's box – uh, that, you know, that and the ability to hit to the opposite field, which now we've had to change the rules on the shift. I don't like the shift rule. I don't like them shifting that to that degree, but they shouldn't tell you where you can put your defensive players. I just never, ever believed in that. Here's another one that I'm really going to have to get used to, and it doesn't happen that often, but and I, I really should have read this rule in greater detail. And, Josh, you, Josh, you and Joe may help me out here. Have uh, oh Joe can't Joe Joe can't spell baseball. Uh, just kidding, Joe. Uh, where they're going to limit the number of throws to first. Is that right? Keeping a runner on. And because by the way, that does get old. You're sitting at a baseball yeah. game. They keep throwing over first, throwing over first. I think after two now you can't you can't throw again. If you do, then the batter gets second base. 
But here's the hole in that, and again, I, I'm I'm a little foggy on some of this. So if you throw over twice, can't the runner just get, get a lead as yeah, long as he that, wants that, to? That, that just doesn't work. No, and, and I'm not sure that I have every detail of the rule. But you know, no, what's interesting. that would mean you could lead off to as far as the. You know what's interesting is in 2021, batting averages dropped to the average batting average. Average battery and average uh, was two forty four, and that's the lowest mark since nineteen seventy two. Yet, the average time of the game ballooned to three hours and ten minutes, which was the longest ever. So, what do you d- discern from that? That it's not the eleven to ten games that are causing the problems, that are causing the lengthy, uh, the extended games, the extended time. It's the two to one games, right? Because the, the pitcher is, is so uh, focused. You want that guy so dug say, in. Don't want him. And and uh, it just would take so much time on the mound. So it, I think that's what made Major League Baseball realize, hey, the problem here is not runs being scored; it's the time on the mound, right? And the time stepping out. It just it's just it's incredibly annoying. Um, when you could just... But, Matt, you were right as far as pitchers are limited to two disengagements yes. for pickoffs. However, this limit is reset if the runner tries to advance to the next plate. If a third pickoff attempt is made, the runner automatically advances. See, uh, there's a hole in that one. Yeah. You know what uh, teams used to do when guys like uh, Lou Brock would uh, play in their stadium? They would put extra water around first base. Dampen it, yeah, a make lot. it slick, make make it make it tough for him to get that jump. Didn't matter; he'd still. Well, what you're going to do is, uh, and, and and Max Scherzer said this. What a bad guy, it, it, man! It, he he said man. that it, it it totally changes the whole pitcher hitter dynamic. Okay, and he then when he, when he said that, yeah, so everybody was thinking, okay, all the reporters in the room, were like, okay, what are his grievances? What is it? And he said, I love it. <laughs> uh, and he said, I can totally dictate pace. Yes. And that's the pace he wants. That's the pace he loves. Uh, other pitchers probably hate it because they like to walk around the mound, you know, get the little um, tongue depressor, you know, dig at their cleats a little bit. Um, that part of it I, I really like so far. And the players are adjusting. Their, it'll take a while. I mean, that is a major, major change to Major League Baseball. Yeah. All right. Um, did you see, did you hear about the quarterback who gave away the playbook? That's coming up next on Big Noon Sports. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky clearing this afternoon. The winds will gradually die down to high 75. For tonight, clear with the low at 43. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow is 67. For Sunday afternoon, the high at 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 74 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
permanent opponents that each SEC team is going to play, it's all about one thing, Matt, and one thing only. Money. Yep. Television, money. And, uh, again, this is a projection from Ross Dellinger, who covers college football for Sports Illustrated. And I won't go over the entire conference, but for Alabama, the three permanent opponents will be Auburn, Tennessee, LSU, which Nick Saban is upset about, uh, presumably, uh, over having LSU being a permanent opponent. And I think if you were to actually do all the math and tally the winning percentages of each team's three opponents over the last 10 years, I think Alabama would have the would be facing the highest total pers- win percentage out of any team in the SEC. Uh, that's just a, that that's a guess on my part, but I, I think that would add up, especially when you hear who the other opponents are for other teams. Auburn, their permanent opponents: Alabama, Georgia, Vanderbilt. Uh, Vandy's permanent opponents: Tennessee, Auburn, Missouri. Tennessee's opponents, Vandy, Alabama, South Carolina, Kentucky, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Georgia. Boy, Kentucky got off pretty good. Uh, Georgia, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky. Again, this is a projection by uh, Ross Dellinger at Sports Illustrated. But I, I, I I have a feeling that this is... An informed projection. <laughs> yeah. He has sources. Yeah, don't you uh, think Nick did too? Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a reason that Nick Saban talked to Ross Dillinger. Because um, <laughs> he doesn't just pick up the phone and answer calls very often. All right. We all know that. Uh, Florida's permanent opponents. Georgia, South Carolina, Oklahoma. South Carolina's permanent opponents. Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. Missouri's got Oklahoma, Arkansas, Vandy. Arkansas has Missouri, Texas, Ole Miss. Yes, Texas. Yes, Texas. And then we'll just stop at Texas and Oklahoma. Texas has Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Arkansas. Wow. That's a gauntlet that's that's there. That's a gauntlet That's a really there. good one. Yeah. Oklahoma has Texas, Missouri. And that Missouri makes a lot of sense for Oklahoma because... Yeah, sure uh, they go all the way back to the Big Eight. They they've been playing each other since like 1908, I believe. I seriously, I think that's it. I think their first they first played that each other just, in 1908. Year just popped into your head. Yeah, I, I heard that once. Uh, so Oklahoma's permanent opponents: Texas, Missouri, Florida. Uh, do you have overall like if 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 the projections by Ross Dellinger are accurate? Do you have any problems, any major problems with the, uh, with these schools not, and these schedules? It's kind of difficult to listen, not, and this is not to me uh, offended at all. It's it's kind of difficult to listen to them as you say them. Then you're thinking about that one, and then you come there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I want to go back and just ask about one specific. Yeah, I'm okay with it. You know what? It's a league. Your family. There's going to be some good. There's going to be some bad. Not everybody's going to be happy here, but you know what? You're in the best league in the universe live with it and by the way that paycheck continues to grow yes okay what was lsu again ole miss texas a&m alabama it's a pretty good run um yeah i'm I'm okay with that too 
Yeah, and again, this is just a big jigsaw puzzle that the SEC office has to put together, and uh, I'm sure they're trying to be as fair as they can, but you're not going to please everybody, and certainly they have not pleased one Mr. Nick Saban. And he's talking about it. Mm -hmm. Do you think it'll make a difference? No. Is Nick going to get his opponents changed? No. He wants his opinion out there. But again, he, he goes back to NIL, and I think maybe that's his underlying motive, don't you think? He's trying to say, hey. The three schools on, that, on our schedule are the ones that are going to be offering the most money or among those schools yeah. offering the most money. I, th- I think you get the Texas and the Texas A&Ms in this deal. Um, we're going to really find out if, if, if literally an Alabama and an Auburn can keep up. As far as what they're paying players, but uh, we'll uh, we'll soon see. Can I get to this XFL story? Yeah. Um, and Christian, I got to get you in on this since you're a former NFLer. If the I'm Orlando in, Guardians quarterback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we I got, got you now. now. We got, got you now. now. Uh, Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> if you've been, been talking to myself for ten minutes. I've been having a conversation hey, with myself my for 10 world. minutes. <laughs> you know, uh, this is something that I, uh, something you have to look forward to, Christian, is I found, and the same is true of my sweet wife, Karen, uh, the older we get, the more we talk to ourselves. They and say geniuses talk to themselves. Morning. That's what they say. There you have it. There you yeah, go. I mean, uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> No further opinion needed. Um, Orlando story, the XFL quarterback story. Quentin. Yeah, 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 getting to it. Dormady. I don't even know where this guy played college ball. Somebody quick Google Quentin Dormady. He's a backup to Paxton Lynch, who, by the way, is as gifted a quarterback I've ever seen at the college level. I can't understand why he can't make it. Yeah, he was it's, a first, former first-rounder of Denver yeah. Broncos. I remember watching him at the Birmingham Bowl. Quentin oh. Dormady played for Tennessee, Houston, and Central Michigan. Huh. Well, they are alleging that he shared his playbook with the opposing team. Wow. Now, was he paid off? He, by the way. Why would, why would you do that? I don't know. They said that they're uh, often in situations where they're flying or they're being bust and other team members will be around or whatever, and he just kind of opened his up and... Let the other team look. By the way, he's been cut. <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. I mean, in the NFL, they take that stuff serious. I mean, if you compromise a playbook in the NFL, I mean, you're subject to some type of fine or uh, something. I mean, I know even with their iPads, if they issue a, an iPad to you when you get there. Um, even if you're on the 90-man roster, everybody gets a, an iPad. You'll have it throughout the spring and in the summer. You're doing OTAs and all that good stuff. Their training camp. But the minute you're released, cut, waved, you name it, they confiscate that iPad ASAP. Now, granted, guys still have written notes and whatnot and, and notebooks. that I'm sure they have terminology plays and, and all that good stuff. But they, I don't think they can they can compromise that or confiscate that. But in terms of uh, that iPad, they're going to take that back. <laughs> they are not letting you keep that. Christian, when you were playing um, any NFL – was there a vast difference in the size of the playbook for defense and the playbook for offense? And how closely guarded did you keep that? I mean, did you try and keep it in your sight at all times? 
you mean uh, compared to like my defensive playbook compared to my own team's offensive playbook, Matt? No, yeah, your own team. Yeah, was the was the quarterbacks playbook? Well, quarterbacks would be, but um, was well, the well, everybody playbook? on the offense is going. Well, everybody on the offense is probably going to have the same playbook, and everybody on the the defense is going to have the same playbook. Now, granted, you're right that the quarterbacks are definitely going to have to. They're probably going to have a lot more pages in terms of notes and, and terminology and, and things that they need to know. Uh, I'll be honest, I never uh, looked at the offensive playbook. I I never really sat in on any of their meetings. I don't. The offensive side of the ball really was foreign to us because we were so focused on defense and us knowing what we had to do because we were all you know, trying to make a team. So I, I'll be honest, I never really um, had had seen. I mean, I, I guess I'd see their binders and their sitting outside their locker. Um, but you know, really, when they issue those binders, I mean, the defense uh, binder looks just as thick, and and you, you don't even get through it half the time. I mean, a lot of it is just. Just pages and pages. Nowadays, you really just use iPads. At least most people just typically like just their iPads. And in that way, they have the cloud services. They can, you know, upload new plays and film and, and all that good stuff on the iPad, you know, almost instantaneously. So uh, I, I, maybe the offense playbook might be a little bit bigger. But honestly, um, I can't say that for sure. But And I'm just kind of just guessing. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. Defensive playbooks are are very extensive as well. And you didn't ask this, but I'll tell you, the Alabama playbook for me was actually, uh, well, I won't say the playbook was bigger, but we had a lot more uh, depth to our plays and playbook or play calling, whatever you want to call it, um, in college at Alabama than I did when I got to the Carolina Panthers. Our, my, our play call list um, was wow. quite a bit shorter um, than it was at Alabama. Now, granted, you don't use all these plays. It's not like you go into a game like Alabama's playbook, I'm going to speak on defensively right now. So their, their defensive playbook is going to, you know, probably have, I don't know, I'm just throwing out a number, but, but this is a random number. Say 100 plays in it and just making that up. If you go into game week, you don't, you're, all 100 plays are not going to be on call. They're going to pick certain plays to have up for that week. There's going to be plays that you have up for red zone situations, uh, first and second and long, you know, first, second and short third down, third and short, you name it. And so you might uh, compact that playbook each week to maybe, I don't know, 30 plays, depending on the situation. So that's typically how it works. So it's, it's not like each week is almost different. And then, you know, throughout the course of the season, you're going to add some stuff. You're, you're really, I'm not going to say drop it, but you're just going to forget about it. It's just kind of like a camp uh, playbook or camp play that you never really run it. Um, so it's very fluid and things change drastically throughout the season. Christian, what position on defense at Alabama uh, is it easiest? Middle linebacker. Easiest easiest for a freshman to pick up and play right away. I thought you were going to say hardest. I was about to say at Alabama, without a doubt, middle linebacker is the hardest position because you have so much responsibility, specifically the mic. Alabama relies heavily on the mic. You know, he's the quarterback of the defense. Um, you're in charge of getting everybody lined up, everybody on the same page, making all the calls, making all the adjustments, doing your job. So that'd be the hardest. So I kind of jumped the gun. I thought you were going to say hardest. But in terms of easiest, defensive line. If you're a defensive lineman, I mean, you can be in there. The guy next to you can kind of uh, tell you what to do almost. You know, if you're running a stunt, I mean, there's generic names for stunt. So you might not necessarily know what you have on this play. But if the guy's saying, hey, you know, pirate or 
lucky Ringo. We're coming from the right side. That means you're all on a stunt going to the left. You can kind of pick up on what you have to do. So I would say defensive line would probably be the easiest to kind of just come in there and be able to play. Um, it's pretty easy for guys to tell you what to do. There's been a number of times we've had guys out there that still didn't quite understand their play, their, their plays or their role. And uh, if they're on the defensive line, it was pretty easy to kind of get them up to speed. Now, uh, being on the back end and adjusting the coverages and, and you know, you know, being synonymous with your teammates back there, that's that's a whole nother challenge and also playing inside linebacker. So easiest would be defensive line. Most difficult would probably be the Mike linebacker position. D-line is see ball, get ball. Yeah. Pretty much. Man <laughs> Choke the guy in front of you. Man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, did you guys see the latest uh, venture financially for Tiger Woods? I know it's a radio. It's, a, it's not a visual medium, but you have to look this thing up. It's incredible. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sport. And I don't think it's going to be like, you know, Jack Nicholas. he went into designing courses. I think Tiger is all about trying to attract a, a younger audience to the game of golf by making golf more enjoyable by using the latest and greatest technology. But he's a, got that, but didn't didn't Tiger? This is back, you know, when he was young and you know winning three out of four majors a year. He also started a, a charitable fund to get kids involved. What was it called? Dang it, I can't I can't remember. It was t- kid golf, T T something T. But he got a lot of of inner city and kids around the planet involved in golf. I've always really admired him for doing that because. If you've taken on a charitable effort like that, Lars, uh, you don't just put your name on it. You put your heart into it, and, and that's what he did. But I think, I think Tiger, what you're talking about. I think Tiger's about, done more for golf than any single person on the planet. I, I could not. More than Arnold more than Palmer. Arnold. More than Nicholas. Um, and you know what? His dad predicted it. His dad predicted it. I mean, his dad basically predicted that Tiger was going to bring world peace as well. But uh, Earl Woods uh, just saw greatness in Tiger at a very young age, and uh, it really all came to fruition. And I'm not talking about on the golf course. I'm talking about off, about the impact he's had. Yes, he's had many missteps, uh, indiscretions, um, but uh, to me it's almost just made him more human. Uh, because on the course he can he was so robotic, but it was his ability to bring people to the game that had never had no interest in golf, but suddenly they became interested because Tiger was must watch television in his prime. Lars, Lars, can I ask you something? You just brought up something that I was curious yeah. about recently, and you're and you're a writer, so this is for you. You might could answer. So uh, Jerry Richardson, the the uh, Carolina Panthers owner had recently passed and uh, they, they had wrote you know like an article about it and he had was, you, you talked about Tiger Woods and kind of his struggles you know outside of his profession well you know Jerry Richardson also kind of had some some uh, some issues in the workplace I think at one point but uh, when they wrote the article it, it basically talked about you know founder of Carolina Panthers the Panthers passes but 
And then it like mentions, you know, kind of like the negative, like the, the, the dark spot, you know, uh, of his life. And I just was wondering as a writer, is it, do you think it's appropriate when we're remembering someone? And I know nobody's perfect, but to, in these articles, when you're talking about their life, you know, when, as, and you're remembering them, do you think it's fair to put that kind of in the headline as a writer? What a I'm great yeah, question. That is a, that is a yeah. good question. I, I think it depends on the person you're writing about, you're writing the obit about, and how far up in the story does a uh, indiscretion belong and i guess you just as a as a as the obit writer you need to to weigh all the other factors in this person's life and um and and you know it's uh, the best obituary writers and the new york times always has such good ones but uh the best obituary writers take their jobs very very seriously um because it's in in a sense you're getting the final word and, uh, you know, you, you, you certainly, for someone like Jerry Richardson, uh, I wouldn't focus on that. That would have to be in the story, but that's in paragraph, sure. you know, 10. That's in paragraph 10, not in paragraph 1 or 2. Um, and so, yeah, you know, if you're writing the uh, obituary on, I don't know, let, let's say... Uh, you're, you write in the obituary on Tiger Woods. Um, well, this is a little dark, but 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 but, but where would you, what would you, you would what, what, what would you where would you put his missteps? Uh, I mean, in, in like the second paragraph, third paragraph. Oh, Christian, you don't want to be asked a question, and also like you, you don't want to be a, a oh. you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. It's like you're writing. Right. I, I think of uh, obituaries as you're, you're writing it for posterity. You're, right. write, you're writing it for someone who's going to read it in 50 years, especially if you are writing an obituary on someone very prominent. And so sure. that's why it's a, it's a heavy responsibility on the writer to get it right. And, right. Uh, and, and, it, and you know, for Tiger, I, I, I don't know. That would, that's a tough one. Yeah, and and I, and I understand it, and that's why I was asking. I said when you just mentioned that about Tiger, I was I, I remembered reading that about Jay Richardson. They as as, as an alumni, you know, the Panthers like they send out you know things to former guys and whatnot. And that was one thing they sent out about him passing. And then I saw on Twitter, you know, another writer, um, totally separate from the team, but had wrote that with the, that in the headline. But I just was thinking, I'm just it, me personally, and I get it. Y'all's job is to tell a story, and you're right. It's for people who read upon it for them to understand and and to know is you know it's part of history. But I, I've just always um, been taught you know to forgive people and to see the best in people, and I just feel like sometimes it's just now look I, and I, this is we're getting really dark here. Now if a guy was uh, convicted murder or something, sure you know that I, I understand that being the headline. But at the same time, with with some of these other cases, like say Tiger Woods. I'm sure somebody probably will write once disgraced top golfer in the world. You know, to me, I just don't yeah. think it's necessary because, you know, nobody's perfect. Everybody deals with things. Everybody has rough patches. And I just hate that sometimes the negatives always are put first and outshine the positives. 
Because, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like you can do so many good things in this world, but if you do one wrong thing one time, sometimes it's over. And, some, and sometimes rightfully so, if, you know, if it's, if it's an extreme. But others, you know, I feel like we, we lack forgiveness and we lack compassion. And I feel like sometimes we could just use that in today's society because, again, nobody's perfect. And the only reason a lot of these people are getting this type of scrutiny is because they are prominent and they have more of a name. But Jack or Joe in Home Depot can do all types of bad, and you'll never know. Christian is uh, redoing a house, so that's why he makes a lot of references to hardware stores. <laughs> that's right. That's very true. We need to be. Yes, we need to go get them um Christian's Corner brought to you by Lowe's. Um, I want to continue this topic. It's a pretty good one, and we will do so on the other side of this break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. From our home base in Birmingham, Alabama, we are here treating patients from every generation across the United States and from around the world. We're here for the rookies and the dreamers trying to make a name for themselves. We are here for the achievers who are resilient and won't take no for an answer. We're here for the coaches, athletic trainers and mentors who are shaping the next generation of legends. We are here for you aggressively pursuing victory over injury. Learn more at andrewsportsmedicine.com. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. The sky clearing this afternoon. The winds will gradually die down to high 75. For tonight, clear with the low at 43. And for the weekend, lots of sunshine tomorrow and Sunday. The high tomorrow 67. For Sunday afternoon, the high at 73. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 75 degrees in Tuscaloosa. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Back on Big Noon Sports, Christian, Matt, and Lars all hanging out. Final segment on this Friday. Now it's just beautiful and sunny and a little breezy. It's crazy. Strange day. Yes. It's a strange know, day of weather. What, what is the old saying? That, um, if you don't like the weather in Alabama, wait 15 minutes. And then that today is the best <laughs> example I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a monsoon out there about 45 minutes ago. And now, it, because it's so windy and it's a blue sky, everything's dried off. You can't even, there's no remnants of the rain. I guess, you know, you, you were walking your dog outside. She almost got blown off the side of the hill right here. <laughs> yeah. Because um, she's a tiny little, what does she weigh, four pounds? Okay. No, <laughs> she doesn't. I don't have a little frou-frou dog. It's pretty damn close. <laughs> what is it? Now, 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 now Christian, Christian's got some dogs. She's no now. pit bull, but uh, <laughs> hey, what's wrong Charlotte, with pit bulls? Uh, 
I like pit bulls. I like oh, pit bulls. Okay, pit bulls. Good. I think pit, I think, in our I, meeting I, I, think I think pit bulls get a bad rap. Actually, uh, I had a, a dog that was half. I had a dog that was half pit bull, and uh, she was as friendly and as loyal as any dog I've ever had. Doesn't that kind of go to the owner? Kind of like what you let the dog do. Do you yeah. coach it to be aggressive? Sure. And then guess what? Uh, the neighbor's cat's gone. Do you have a dog, Christian? I <laughs> do. I have a whole pack, Lars. I've got. Uh, I've had two. My brother has two. <laughs> wow! But there, you you have big dogs. You don't have little fruit fruit dogs. I have uh, two labs, a pit bull, and my brother. Well, I have a lab and a pit bull. My brother has a lab, and then he also has a doodle. Golly, four! That that's a lot of work. You got but a, you got a lot a, more fun. Hey, yeah. You got a cat. You're a cat man. <laughs> never, ever, ever <laughs> thought I would be that guy. You are that guy. I am that guy. <laughs> you got, you got strong arm by your wife. Yes, and <laughs> I'm I'm not sad about it. I like I like Henry. He's got a great personality. Do you want to tell the story? Yeah, I'll tell him something. Uh, Christian, imagine <laughs> this. Uh, it's a little orange tabby. It's not a little anymore. Its fur is about as thick as it can get. And he has a tail that I've not seen on any other cat in my life. Have you? No. It's just huge, real furry. I mean, it's a squirrel like tail. a squirrel. Yeah, except it's bushier and longer. But as most cats do, they like to jump and run and climb. Well, my wife was having some company over Saturday and so she'd lit some candles and play, you know, put them up on top of the cabinet and all that kind of stuff. Well, Henry saw it. Canley jumped up there right next to it, and his tail got in it. And I mean it. I mean it was like um, was something that just ignites immediately and flames. And you had to you had to spank the cat literally to get the fire out. It smelled horrible, and he had this little charred tail running around. So you know you have to cut it out, and. Uh, he's fine, and I think it's already grown back. But, yeah, yeah, I've got some friends that are cat people, and they're always posting pictures of their cats on Facebook and all that. Yeah. I won't be that guy. <laughs> Promise. Yeah. You're, I'm a dog. Are you a cat guy, Christian? I, I'm, I'm not. I've always kind of been spooked by them. They just, I, I feel like they're unpredictable. I just see them, they like arch their spine in a weird way. And then they just have weird movements sometimes. <laughs> it, it just kind of it freaks me out, Matt. So I've never I've never been much of a cat guy. There's one cat I, I didn't mind. That was my my best friend's farm cat, and he just kind of hung around their shed. And I guess he he, he killed and, and took uh, took out all the little I don't know rodents or things that they didn't want to pests. I don't know. But he was cool. He just chilled, did his own thing. He didn't really come near us. <laughs> You cat. got a barn, you need a cat. A cat does whatever a cat wants right. to do. And now I understand the creepy part about it because sometimes they'll sit in a chair across the room from you and they'll just start eyeballing you. And <laughs> yeah. they don't stop, they don't blink. They just like. Ah. You're not going to win a staring contest. No, no, you're not. <laughs> Appreciate y'all bringing that up. Now, now everybody listening to our show is going to go, Matt's cat boy. <laughs> Matt's cat. That's <laughs> here. How's your t-shirt, man? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are about to hit that edge, so why don't we take off? Have a good weekend, everybody. Have a great weekend, Christian. We'll see you. Take care. Like